Seema Vasa. Our program is designed to bring you business tips and success stories directly from the people who are making it happen. If you could use a little motivation and a lot of ideas to help you and your company move forward, stick around for the next hour. Now, here is Seema Vasa. Welcome to the forum. I am Seema Vasa, your host. Excited to be here today. We are talking about a topic that's incredibly near and dear to many of us, and that is sales. A topic we're going to focus on is getting some tips and strategies on how to successfully sell on a budget. I'm excited to have our guest today here, Paul Kirch. He is the host of Boss Academy Radio, as well as the CEO and president of Active Sales Intelligence, a sales and coaching consultancy agency as well as a digital marketing agency called Websites and Leads. Paul, welcome to the show. I'm so excited for you to be here. I know we've been trying to coordinate a little bit, and uh, it's nice to finally have you, have you here and, and talk about sales. I know so many people that I talk to, business owners, uh, presidents of divisions, sales seems to be one of the hardest nuts to crack in terms of lead generation, managing salespeople, the right commission, motivating salespeople, hunting versus farming. I'm sure you've, you've run the gamut. So I wanted to start out by just asking you, what, is, what, are, what are some key things that you or philosophies that you have in your mind when you think about sales? Well, you know, I think about uh, the way that sales was. When I was growing up, there was definitely the heavy mindset of that always be closing strategy. Uh, I'm not saying you don't close because, of course, you have to close business, but it's that forced mindset that guilting people into buying from you, that high-pressure sales, it doesn't work the way that it once did. Um, in fact, I'd say most people are, they may themselves not be that highly educated, but they have access to unlimited information. You can go out and do a Google search. Um, people are exposed to scams more than ever. So I really believe that sales has morphed into a time when somebody who's highly empathetic and a relationship builder can be extremely successful. And there's a lot of examples of those people out there that are folks very much on providing value. Um, their approach is very selfless. And yep. I, I do believe that if your approach is selfish, you're going to alienate. If it's selfless and you're there serving the customer and trying to do the best for them, uh, you can do great in this day and age. That's fantastic. And, and do you believe then from, from your perspective as a salesperson then must really believe in the product or service that they're selling in order to be selfless and to be empathetic, to be able to provide a solution for their client or prospect? You know, I'd be lying if I said there aren't plenty of people out there that are very focused on themselves and that do well. Um, there are people that just are naturally born salespeople. But I think the average person that's in a sales role has to believe in what they're selling. I know I do. Uh, I don't feel good at, at night if I'm selling something I don't believe in. In my own business, and Seema, you've probably faced this too, where you started to question a direction and you started to question what you were selling and are you in it for the right reasons? Are you doing the right things? And so you have to go back to the drawing board. So I know I'm a, a perfect example of somebody who has to believe in what he's selling or it's never going to work. So I do think that that's, that's the type of people I would want to hire. 
Sure. Um, there are plenty of people out there that can do well without that kind of mindset, but I'd rather have the people that are truly my champions and believing in what I'm selling than to have somebody that's just in it for the money and just in it for themselves. That's interesting. And I know, and I think you alluded to this, I mean, salespeople get such a bad reputation uh, being, you know, the, the, the notion of being the sleazy car salesperson or just that person who's going to guilt you into a sale or, you know, essentially stalk you uh, to, until you buy. And then we've had some jokes about, you know, people sometimes have gone so heavy on selling that you almost guilt them into buying the product because they just can't take it anymore. Do you think that reputation is changing over time given the fact that, you know, sales is morphing into more of a relationship-based um, approach? I do believe it's changed some. I think the, the influx of a lot of entrepreneurs that come in with a different mindset has definitely played a part in, in changing that. I do think because the high-pressure sales doesn't work the way it once did, because people have access to knowledge and information, just, you mentioned cars. You, know, you can go right. out and find what the invoice price of that car is. You know what the profit margins are within some reason um, when you go to shop for cars, so you know what a good deal looks like today, whereas you once didn't have access to that information. So I'd say it has changed, um, but unfortunately, I know a lot of people that get into the sales role, and they feel like they're instantly labeled because they wear that sales title. Even right. within, you and I both, been very heavily involved in the marketing research industry. There's an industry that's very operations focused. A lot of the owners of the company are operations people and they see salespeople and treat salespeople as outsiders. And it's a shame right. because it creates this instant battle between operations, sales, and other divisions of the company that doesn't have to exist if we get on the same page. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. I, I think that salespeople you know, have a battle both internally and externally. And if, 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 if the industry is bent towards not necessarily embracing the sales function, it's very difficult for those salespeople to navigate internally. And then, obviously, when you're out there selling, you know, pushing, walking the pavement and, and kind of making those calls, that also is an uphill bat- battle. Which leads me to my next question for you. You know, I know that... Throughout my career, I've been interviewed, interviewing dozens, more than dozens, hundreds of salespeople and candidates, and I would say I've had a pretty good hit rate, sometimes not so good. Can you give our audience some tips as to what to look for when you think about a candidate as it relates to um, hiring them into, into the sales organization for your company? Yeah, well, I would say that you want to vet them and treat them as if they're already working for you in some capacity. And by that, I mean you want to put them through some role-playing scenarios and see how they respond. Um, Put them through an assessment. I think uh, assessment tests, like uh, there's plenty of them out there. You know, there's Myers-Briggs and others such assessments, but there's some that are specifically focused towards sales, and those are important aspects that a lot of companies overlook and want to spend a couple hundred dollars to do or they just think it's necessary. Uh, you know, resumes are pieces of paper that have some information. Uh, how reliable that is, maybe, maybe not. Uh, if you're only basing a hire based off of a resume 
and possibly a reference that they've provided you as somebody who's probably almost guaranteed to provide a positive reference, that's, that's really not enough. So I'd say right. that you also have to do your due diligence on checking them out on social media. Are they on LinkedIn? How engaged and active are they? Do they have a large network on LinkedIn? These are things that you definitely have to look for. But I think the, the, the hiring aspect that is often overlooked is that idea of putting them through a sales scenario. A lot of larger companies, what do they do? They put people in a ride-along situation if they have an outside sales force. And they want to see how they respond and how they react. And I think it's important that you do those kinds of exercises and not skip it just for the sake of, hey, I like this person. they got a good-looking resume. And you know what? Their Uncle Bob said they're an amazing person. That's right. really not enough. Yeah. And, and when you talk about, uh, you know, really doing the due diligence on the salesperson, I, I know that people are weary when you talk to a candidate who's not employed and is in the sales function or historically has been a salesperson versus employed and interviewing with your company. Do you have a perspective on that in terms of, you know, hiring somebody who's already employed versus somebody who's been out in the market for whatever reason and looking for a sales function or a sales role, if you will? (laughs) It's funny you ask this question because this is something that surprisingly leads to a lot of debate. I actually have a different philosophy than a lot of the people I know. Uh, I have friends that would not even consider somebody that's not already employed because they figure a good salesperson is not going to be unemployed. But, man, we are in a day and age where there's turnover, there's layoffs. The layoffs are not necessarily even due to sales. They're sometimes right. venture capital gets involved and they have a different perspective and philosophy. There's a lot of really good salespeople out of work that are simply just not finding the opportunity that they're looking for. I want to hear their story. Um, you know, if I can get face-to-face with somebody, and I'm sure you're the same way, if you get face-to-face and somebody tells you your story, you're going to get a good read on whether they're shooting you straight or not. And right. the same is true of somebody that's employed. That same story, why are they leaving? And, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of situations where you offer somebody a job and they go back to their current employer to try and renegotiate a better deal because ultimately I think that puts them in a, in a bad situation. And if somebody does that, that works for me, they go get a job offer for somebody and they come back and try and negotiate a better price or a better um, salary, there's somebody I know is not loyal. I want somebody that's loyal and I think you have to, to dig in and, and give them a chance to share that. So if somebody's got good credentials, um, they've got a good background, and they seem like they'd be a good fit, I'm not going to rule them out because they're currently unemployed, but I do want to know that story, and then I'm going to dig in and do my back, uh, background check and fact-finding. And is it true, have you found in your, in your consulting with other clients that the, the sales position tends to be one of the hardest positions to, to fulfill, or, or is it just, you know, because it's difficult for some, if, or, or for me, let's say, um, people that I know, it's really not a common issue for many organizations. What, what do you see out there? Well, I think some companies have better systems in, in terms of finding people and, and recruiting people in than others, and depending on, you know, their size and, and where they are in terms of funding and everything like that, they're, they're in a different position. But I'd say for most people, hiring salespeople is really difficult, and the 
loss of opportunity and the loss of of uh, sales if somebody does not work out can be astronomical. You could have somebody that's a you know a salesperson that with their comp plan is going to make one twenty, but your opportunity cost if they don't work out in the first six months to a year could be three or four times that because if you had a good performing salesperson in, you might have done better in the territory. You might have alienated some clients. You might have uh, been in a situation where you did some true collateral damage because you had the wrong person representing your company. So it's hard to hire salespeople, and it's also a high-risk situation. That's why I think your due diligence up front is worth putting the extra money and time into it. That's great. Well, Paul, when we come back, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I would love to talk to you more about email marketing or email reach out versus cold calling and actually picking up the phone and talking to people. I know that's a hot debate right now for many in terms of how much do you actually balance between email and cold calling and get some other neat tips from you as to how to improve the sales process uh, for companies out there. And we'll be right back. Thank you. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. How is your company's marketing plan? Could it use a little help? For most businesses, the answer is yes. Tune in each week to Marketing That Won't Break the Bank. Host Janet Kunst and her guests will show you how and where to bring your marketing to the next level. Each show will feature action strategies that you can implement right away and see results. We'll make this easy for you. Start by tuning in every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity 2.com. Now back to the program. 
Hi, we're back. This is Seema Vasa, your host, and I'm here with Paul Kirch, who is the host of Boss Academy Radio, as well as CEO of Active Sales Intelligence and uh, CEO of Websites and Leads, a digital marketing agency. So, before we left for break, we were just about getting we were just getting into the topic of how many attempts do we expect from salespeople to actually reach a prospect and convert into sales? And I think, Paul, you were sharing some st- statistics that I think would be interesting to share here. Yeah, now the, the data is uh, probably a couple years old at this point, but the National Sales Foundation had done a study where they went out and looked at the number of outreaches and touches that it required to convert somebody into a customer. In most industries, that number is verging around eight. Now, that may not seem like a staggering number, but that's based off of a lot of change because there was a time not long ago where it was five and six outreaches. Now we're looking at eight to ten. And we had an outbound cold calling team that would would uh, go out and find leads for clients. And, and sometimes just to get a valid appointment set up with a qualified product was taking seven, eight, and nine calls. So it's changed, and most salespeople give up after three or four. Uh, it's, it's amazing how much of the business. The, so when I say eight to ten, so they say 80% of all sales occur, or excuse me, 80% of most sales occur at, at, after eight uh, outreaches. So that could be between your email outreaches and your phone calls. And, you know, if you talk to somebody on the phone and they say, hey, send me some information, which is often a nice way of saying, you know what, we're really not interested, but we want to get off the phone. Right. But if you send them that information, now you've get, gotten permission from them to follow up, essentially, because they've given you permission, hey, send me some information. Right. So sending that information is just one more step in the process. And then if you have an email sequence that you're able to to leverage, you can get to the point where these outreaches can be a combination of manual and automated to the point where you're going to close more business. But most salespeople give up far too soon, and it's uh, it's a real lost opportunity because if you have an unlimited number of leads, let's say, let's say you've got a directory that's got 10,000 companies that you can call through. Well, the average salesperson gets frustrated with the no's or the, the soft responses, the fact that they can't get a hold of somebody, they're leaving voicemail messages. So they'll go on and dial on that next number, but every new number you start with is starting in a really cold place. Um, right. If you've talked to somebody and gotten their permission to follow up, now all of a sudden you're dealing with a warm prospect instead of a truly cold prospect. That's that's great information. I know that uh, you know eight seems like an attorney because of the the lack of response and then starting from uh, starting from scratch with a new uh, potential lead or, or prospect. What, do you have a philosophy on cold calling versus email? I know there's some debate about whether prospects want to be even called to. I mean, the reality is even corporate numbers don't exist really because you call into a central number and or you call into a mobile phone number. Uh, it, it seems like the climate has changed as it relates to cold calling. What, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, now remember I did say a selfless approach, so that's, yeah. but I want to make sure we don't blur the lines here because you, you mentioned um, does it even make sense to do this because do people even want to be contacted that way? I have right. people that tell me and say, well, my, my prospects don't want, they don't want to be called. 
They don't want to be bothered. They don't want people leaving them voicemail messages. Right. But if that works, that convert is not about what they want to point. It's about what I need to reach them. If I truly believe in what I'm selling and I believe I can help somebody and I can provide them a service, aren't I almost doing them a disservice if I don't take steps to reach out to them? And uh, I, I think that I take out of the equation what they want in terms of their preferred contact method because everyone that you're trying to sell to, their preferred contact method is the one that's going to be hardest for you to get to them because nobody wants to be sold, right? Right. Jeffrey Gittimer, who uh, wrote the Little Red Book of Selling, Sales Bible, he always says yes. people hate to be sold, but they love to buy. Right. So why would... So if you're selling somebody, that means forcing your wares upon them, your services, pressuring them. That's one thing. If you're providing them a solution that can truly help them, once you get past that cold, hey, we're not interested, and you get to the point where they're like, okay, I want to learn more, then you kind of owe them if you really believe you can help them and provide them a better service. So I, I think that my philosophy is cold calling is harder than it ever has been. But one of the greatest tools you have at your disposal is top-of-mind awareness through voicemail. And I say oh, that because voicemail is the one form of communication that they can't ignore. So you can just delete an email without reading it. But right. voicemail, they have to dial in and listen to that voicemail before they can delete it. And they're going to hear your name. They're probably going to yeah. hear your company name. Hey, this is Paul Kirch with websitesandleads.com. I'd like to talk to you. And they might hang up at that point. But they heard who I am, they heard my company name, and at some point that's going to resonate. And can I give a quick example of how that Please has do. benefited yes, me? Please do. We love stories. Okay, so I've left voicemails for people that didn't respond, and it's very frustrating, but I've been to events where I ran into these people, and I've gotten responses like, oh, Paul, I've got your voicemail message sitting on my phone as a reminder to call you when I have time. I've just been so busy. Paul, I'm really sorry I haven't called you back. I got your messages. Um, you know, please forgive me. Let's set up time to talk. Hey, don't I know you from somewhere? This is one that mm-hmm. happened last year in an event. It was great. He goes, don't I know you from somewhere? And I said, oh, yeah, you probably heard of my show, Boss Academy Radio, which I know that I had left him voicemail messages, but I didn't want to say right there at the spot. But in his eyes, he put me on a higher plane because he thought, I know this guy. There's credibility here. And it was really interesting. I ended up getting a meeting out of him. And he never put two and two together that I had left him voicemail messages, but he knew my name from somewhere. He just couldn't piece it together. So that's, that's, that's not the story. ideal situation, but it was one that made me really realize that, man, that top of mind awareness is so critical because I used to be the big believer in if I'm leaving a voicemail message, I want him to return it. And I get a lot of voicemail messages returned, but more importantly, I use it as a means of staying on their radar. Yeah, you know, I never thought about it that way. That's not, it, it is really just a tool for awareness. I mean, if the expectation is that somebody's going to pick up the phone, then one could argue maybe cold calling is not worth it. But if the goal is to kind of do that one-to-one top-of-mind awareness building, and then when you do go to a conference or a meeting, it, it resonates or it, it kind of pulls back into their mind as to, oh, I've heard that name before, then it, it proves to be a really effective tool. Well, that and, and for outreach, has probably had this happen. I, I don't know too many salespeople that haven't had this happen where they got an apology for somebody for not responding to them. Yeah. your message, I'm really sorry for not responding. That next outreach could be the one that, they, you know, at some point they 
there's almost like this, okay, look, this guy's going to keep calling. And one of the things I do in voicemail messages is I typically will say, hey, you know, if, if you don't call back, I'm going to call you next week at such right. and such time and day. Or I'm going to call you on such and such day. And then I make a note to actually do that. And if I call on that day that I said I would call them, even though they may not remember the details, it does matter. If you right. say I'm going to call somebody, you call somebody back on a voicemail message and you don't, and you wait a month, now you've lost a lot of credibility and, quite frankly, you've lost a lot of opportunity. But I do believe, and I'm, event follow-up is great with voicemail, but just as a means of being part of that touch and that outreach, it matters. Right. And, and do you combine it with email as well? Do you, do you kind of alternate between, you mentioned sequences earlier. Is it something that you formalize in terms of what your approach is going to be when you outreach to a certain set of prospects? Yeah, well, one of the things that I do with, with some of my clients is I will help them build a sequence for their sales process. And that uh, might be, you know, telephone call. Like, so if it's a really cold prospect, if I've never talked to somebody, never, res- you know, don't know them from anyone, but um, I found their name in a directory or something like that and I want to call them, I typically don't leave a voicemail the first call. Um, right. And the reason being, they don't know who I am. That voicemail really doesn't matter much. But if it's somebody that I've had interaction with or I've met at an event, they gave me a business card, I'll call and leave my name and message on a voicemail and reference it. But yes, I do use email and telephone together and we'll do a uh, sequence where I'll, I'll make a certain number of calls and then follow up with emails. I'm not a big fan, even though it works, and there's people out there that are listening that are probably going to argue with me and say that it's, it, it works well for them. I don't like calling someone leaving a message or calling somebody and then following up immediately with an email because okay. that's repetitive. If I do do that, right. I always in that email make reference as to why I'm doing it because maybe there's, hey, I left you a voicemail message. I'm sorry for the redundancy, but here's that information I referenced. But it, it, it can be effective, but I think that that is sometimes a little bit too aggressive to actually spend a bit or a few days. Gotcha. That, that's, that's great advice as well. And, and so from your perspective, how does social media fit into this? Is it part of the, the sequence or the steps, or, or do you kind of put that aside and that's more you know, researching a prospect uh, and making sure you understand uh, everything about them before you reach out to them? Well, for me, social media is a tool. So it depends on what we're talking about. If we're talking about LinkedIn, LinkedIn's a great area for most B2B prospecting, depending on right. your industry. With the targeting and some of the things you can do with their sales navigator, it's, it's a really important tool. And I might use that as a means of finding leads that I want to follow up with and maybe even use it as a means of making that first introduction or first outreach. But if we're talking about Twitter... Facebook, Instagram, things like that. I might use those tools more to find prospects, but more importantly, I use it as a brand credibility building tool. You know, I want to okay. be established as a thought leader. I want to, so I promote Boss Academy, my radio show, my, my podcast show, more than anything right. else on social media because that gives credibility. It gives credibility to me, uh, the guests that I have on, and it also is something that I can really substantiate. I don't promote my other brands as much through social media just because I don't have the resources to juggle all of that. Sure. But 
I do think it's a great brand credibility building tool, but as far as like a sales interaction, I don't really put that in, in terms of part of the sequence. Unless I happen to have somebody on Twitter that I'm, I'm direct messaging or referencing, but that's not really part of the sales sequence. It's more of a, let's hope that I get a response from them and then I can do something with it. Very interesting. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think LinkedIn's a great resource to kind of qualify leads, and, and social media is a good way to kind of build thought leadership and brand uh, as a platform for your company or whatever you're, you're, you're trying to establish out there. Uh, I, I know yeah, that... Yeah, let me give you... A... I could talk... Oh, sorry, go no, ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, uh, there's a gentleman by the Dennis, named Dennis Brown. He's a LinkedIn coach, very successful guy. He built a couple of businesses and kind of found his way through LinkedIn. And one of the things that he and I were talking about, I've got 6,000 people I'm connected with on LinkedIn. I don't say that to brag. In fact, I used to think having a big network on LinkedIn was going to be this great door opener. Right. But the way LinkedIn's set up, it's a very manual process. So he, he refers to his, he does an automated email sequence that's manual. And that's, he's somewhat joking about that. But he will go out and he'll identify people in his group that he wants to email, and he'll send them an email, and then a few days later he'll follow up with a second email in that sequence. Wow. All value-based content, no sales messages whatsoever. And it, uh, it's a slow manual process, but his conversions are through the roof. And so I've played around with that a little bit and had great success with it as well. So it's, That's great. Those are some great tips. We're going to take a break. I feel like we could talk about this all day long. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Paul, I would love to hear from you how to motivate salespeople. What's the core there, and how do we best you know, align sure. incentive management to other levers for motivation? So we'll be back after the break. We hope you join us to hear more about managing and, uh, managing and solving the sales issue. Thanks. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you 
to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to The Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity-2.com. Now back to the program. And we're back. We are talking about sales, sales management. We're here with Paul Kirch, who is the host of Boss Academy Radio and also spends a lot of time working with clients on helping them with their sales strategy and approaches. Paul, we were talking about, uh, before the break, a little bit more about rejection and setting up a structure that allows us to, uh, as business leaders, motivate salespeople, and, and I, I wanted to g- get your perspective on what are the levers to motivate and keep salespeople energized and refreshed and excited, especially because they experience rejection on a daily, minute-by-minute basis. Well, this is going to be a topic where my philosophies are kind of probably fly in the face of what a lot of people believe, and that's okay. Um, but I, I, I can tell you, I can back a lot of it up with concrete evidence. Uh, not all salespeople, and I'd say most salespeople, are not truly motivated by more money. Now, granted, people get into sales for a reason, because they right. see an opportunity, obviously, to make money through commission. They see other salespeople being really successful. And there are companies where the uh, there's a level of resentment because the salespeople get... Um, commission. I would say that my philosophy is that if I have salespeople on board, I want to pay them commission because I want them to be incentivized to make more money, even though there are often underlying things which are more important to them, and we'll get to that. But salespeople are also the most vulnerable and at the most risk. If you're in an operations role, let's say you're a project manager, and you mess up on a project, well, you may get you know, you may get yelled at or you may get uh, somebody upset, but your job's not probably going to be at risk unless this is a repeating trend. If you're in sales and you fall short of your numbers, well, your job's at risk. And so there is a higher level of risk, but there should be that level of reward. But I've had salespeople with me that um, I paid them more money and the results were not higher, and sometimes they were even reduced results because they there was a level of they didn't feel as much pressure to succeed because they were making more money um, or the money wasn't really what was driving them. What was ultimately driving them, a uh, great example of I had somebody who worked with, for me that I thought paying him more money was going to be the answer. He worked hard. He did everything he needed to do to get in the door with people, but he wasn't closing a lot of business. And I noticed that he kind of started to develop a bad attitude. And his attitude was, um, it wasn't toxic by any means, but I started to understand what made him tick. For him, he felt like an outsider. 
he really wanted to be valued in the company. It mattered to him how he was seen by his colleagues. And so I started pulling him into conversations in sales meetings, and uh, I would, when I was talking to the owner of the company, I would reference some of the things he was working on, and he got a few pats on the back. And all of a sudden, I saw just, just absolutely different change in this person. He went from being somebody who was literally weeks from losing his job to becoming the number two salesperson in an organization that had a significant number of salespeople. And we got acquired by an even larger international firm, and he rose to the number two salesperson role in that company because what he needed was the reassurance that he was doing, he was valued, and he was seen as an important part of the company. That's not every salesperson, but I think... One of the biggest things that managers fail to do is fail to get to know their people and what makes them tick. They make assumptions. Um, a lot of times, small companies are guilty of putting somebody in charge of sales that doesn't have sales experience. Yes. I argue that it's almost impossible to truly manage and motivate a salesperson if you have not been in their shoes and are not willing to be in their shoes. And so that's, that's a challenge as well. So I'd say... Get to know them, find out what makes them tick, and if you don't think you have time for this, then good luck because losing good salespeople or finding that you let somebody go before they really have the opportunity to blossom can cost the company a lot of money and it can create a lot of negative ripples. Sure. I definitely agree with you in the sense that it's not always about the money. Obviously, the compensation is... An important point, uh, you know, yeah. many people take that risk before the upside reward. And, and you know, my, hats off to them because they believe in themselves that they can do it, which is fantastic. But I do agree with you. They want their voice heard. They, they want their opinions to matter, and they want to feel like they're part of the team. I, I definitely have seen many, many salespeople who, who desire that. I'm curious from your perspective on the compensation piece. I know many people have asked me and other colleagues I know, you know, what is the ratio that people should consider compensation? Should it be a third base and then upside reward? Like, do you have a general framework as, as you think about compensation as to what should be a secure base versus what should be made on commission? Well, the, the easy answer to that is I don't have a direct number or percentage that I use because it's different for every company. The hard okay. part is most companies have a very little understanding of what their true margins are. Right. To, to judge what you can pay a salesperson, you have to know what your margins are on your products and offerings, and you have to know where your break-even point is. Uh, if you're... A, you know, I've got a company I'm working with right now that's pretty much in a startup perspective. He's willing to pay a very large percentage in commission and a smaller base because until his cash flow is better, he can't afford to pay the higher base. Right. Um, so there are definitely a lot of theories on those percentages. I really think it comes down to you need to know what your margins are. You need to know what you're willing to, to, to put yourself at risk for. And, uh, you know, make some assessments there. And it really is, it requires some analysis and it requires some thought process. Um, I don't have a rule of thumb that I go in with because I think every company is in a different situation. Sure. That, that makes sense. I, I know um, 
It depends also, I would imagine, you know, how quick are they going to be able to hit the ground? Do they come in with a Rolodex or not versus are you training them to build their own network and close deals? And and that takes a longer time as well. And what's their level of experience? You know, what industry are you, if we, you know, going back to talking about the research industry, because I'm sure you've got some listeners from that space. Sure. You've got somebody selling into healthcare and there's all this low hanging fruit Great, but maybe you've got somebody that you want to put in an area of, of specialization where they're going to have a lot fewer opportunities to prospect. And that's another thing. It's like often we measure salespeople on a black and white, here's what you did in sales, here's what this person did in sales. Well, they've got more close rate or better close rate and more sales. Right then they must be more successful. But was that really the case? Did they have more lead opportunities? Is there something happening in, in one person's territory that needs to be taken into consideration? So, you know, you asked earlier what about motivating salespeople. The one thing I didn't get a chance to touch on is often it's how the company supports them that matters the most. Are you providing them, you know, updated collateral? Because right. if somebody is asking them for for follow-up information, and you have a white paper that's 15 years old, well, that's pretty embarrassing as a salesperson. If you can't even get updated collateral, you don't have marketing material that matches the current product offering. Um, that's just one example. Are you doing other things to support them? Are you, you know, are you forcing them when they go on the road to find it? You know, if they go to a conference, you're putting them at the cheapest hotel six miles right. away because you want to save. $15 a night, right. well, those things matter to a person that's on the road a lot. Sure. Yep. And, and, and let me ask you, when you, when you think about the metrics or when you think about sales activities, you know, there's obviously the, the prospecting and the reach outs. Uh, do you measure number of face-to-face meetings, number of proposals outstanding? Uh, what's your perspective in terms of how closely do you monitor those metrics in terms of sales management, if you will? Yeah, well, if you have a good CRM system, I mean, I'm a big fan of Salesforce. I actually use Zoho and some other products as well. But sure. if, you, if, if you've got a good CRM system and people are actually using it and it's set up correctly, right. you should be able to measure all those things and get some, some read. Because the biggest mistake people make is, is not tracking that information and then when they need to figure out why something's not working, they don't have the data to support it. Data. And then they make assumptions that are often wrong. Mm-hmm. If you've got that data, do I, do I think you have to track every meeting, every phone call and start to convert? It's like, oh, okay, it takes this number of phone calls to get a meeting and this number of meetings to get a proposal. I do track that stuff because the CRM makes it easy, but do you want to really get bogged down with that data all the time? It depends on where you are. It depends on what's happening. If you're hitting your numbers Maybe you put less emphasis on that and start to really, but you really always want to get to a point of understanding what's happening and why is it happening. Um, so that, that data is important because if you do need to make a determination on is this person successful, is this person not, and you don't have that data to come back to, then what are you going to base it off of? Well, they didn't sell as much as Bob, so we're going to keep Bob on board and let this guy go when actually that person had major hurdles happening in his territory that you weren't aware of, and you may have right. made a decision to get, get rid of the wrong person. That's interesting. It's a long-winded answer to your short question, but... 
No, it well, it's, it's, it's helpful because I think there's always this, uh, I wouldn't, tension is probably too strong of a word, but there's that kind of dance between understanding the metrics so you can get your base foundation of understanding to micromanagement. And, you know, you don't want the salespeople to feel burdened with so much input into Salesforce or whatever tool you're using to, to then kind of demotivate them to get out there and sell and go talk to customers or prospects. Right, but if you create the process, if you create the process that every time they make a phone call, it's entered in, um, their emails are automatically entered in because you've got it linked to the CRM solution and every uh, time it recognizes an email address with an account that's in Salesforce, it automatically adds it. This is not a lot of extra work for the salesperson. It's, that's right. often a complaint, yeah. and often that complaint happens because companies all of a sudden throw it upon their sales people. Well, you need to start doing this more. And there's no consistency with it. If it's mandated from when they start to every day that this is the way it has to be done, right. it's just part of the process. And right. I'm not above tying compensation to making sure Salesforce or CRM data is updated because at the end of the day, that stuff is there to protect them as much as it is the company, and that knowledge is power. It, that's, that's I would argue point. that, yes, if they have to go back and enter that stuff in a week later, it's going to be a nightmare for them. If they're doing it as part of their job, then I'd say that it's an important piece. And I'm not a micromanager. If I have to micromanage somebody, they're not going to work for me. Right. But, at the, but having that data at my disposal and them having that data at their disposal. Can you imagine a salesperson that's out there getting – uh, 20% close rate and his colleagues are getting 12% close rate and you're going, okay, why is this person more successful? Well, that person who's got the 12% close rate might be making more calls but having lower conversion. And then you can start looking at, okay, why is this person converting why is more? Why happening? Right, yeah. right. So then you dig in and go, okay, well, wow, this guy's really doing some compelling things with his follow-up process. And then all of a sudden you create something that everyone gets to follow and you bump everyone's close rates up. It's knowledge is power. Yep, I, I firmly believe that as well. You're not flying blind. Paul, when we come back, I would love for you to share your favorite sales story. Uh, it could be your best experience and obviously the sales experience that you'll never forget because potentially you could have done something different or better. So when we come back, we're going to hear from Paul, his personal experience on the sales, being on the sales front lines. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. 
Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to the Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity 2.com. Now back to the program. And we are back. We are talking about sales, tips and tricks, strategies, the full, full, spectrums, full spectrum of topics. And I'm here with Paul Kirsch, who is a, the CEO of Active Sales Intelligence and also has his own uh, radio show called Boss Academy. Paul, welcome back. Well, I thank am you, Seema. So looking, so looking forward to this section because we all have our war stories. be great if you could share with us a story, a sales story that you probably remember as potentially something that you learned from and you grew from, and also, you know, your most delightful sales story that you can share. And it could be about you or it could be about somebody that you managed. Yeah, I'll try and make this brief so I can squeeze both in. But Sure. So one of the greatest lessons I ever learned is about listening. I mean, everyone knows that you're supposed to listen, but salespeople are trained to ask questions and and a lot of times we get so fixated on the next question we're trying to answer or ask that we don't always hear the answer. And um, I was working with a gentleman who was a great manager, great leader. Uh, we were, flew out to California together uh, for a trip, and we were getting in front of a client. And this is a client that I'd been working on for a long time. And I say client because we'd done some business with them in the past, but it had been a while since we got any business from them. And the person who was managing their their research sales was, uh, she was she was a great person, but she was not giving us any straight answers. And we knew that there was this great opportunity. Uh, we were trying to do a little fact-finding, and I knew that if I could find out where she was currently doing this work, that we had a chance to win it. And uh, so we got there, and meeting's going along great, and I asked her a couple questions, and at one point I get the opportunity to ask her, the piece of information that I've been trying to find out for months, and she's giving a lot of stuff up in this meeting. I ask her, at the end of the meeting, I'm out in the parking lot 
with my boss at the time, and uh, I said, man, that was a great meeting. And, and he goes, well, he goes, let me ask you a question. He says, what did she say when you asked her about that piece of information? I said, you know, I said, that was the one thing I was frustrated with. She didn't answer me. He goes, no, she did, Paul. You just talked right over the top of her. You didn't even oh, give her no. a chance to finish her sentence. And at that point, I realized what a you know crime I'd committed, how I had just absolutely let myself really get so fixated on what I was saying and right. make it more about me and less about them. So it's probably one of the greatest lessons I learned in sales because I carried so much weight throughout my career. And, you know, to this day, I like to talk. I mean, I am obviously could ramble on all day talking to you on this show, but right. the truth be told, we have to stop and listen. Yeah. And That's especially in those key moments when we ask the question and we don't shut up long enough to let them talk. And I'll tell you what, you need to learn to embrace uncomfortable silence because uncomfortable silence is often when the rubber meets the road. You know, they always say in negotiating that, who talks first loses and it's somewhat true and if we ask a question and they're not answering just sit there and wait let it be uncomfortable eventually they're going to crack somebody's going to talk great advice so you mentioned the idea of of a positive success story well i mentioned the person that rose from the the depths of almost being out of a job to being the number two salesperson and he had a company in Chicago that he was trying to get business from, and they were taking his calls initially. He was sending a bunch of information, and I think part of his problem is he pushed a little too hard. He was a little too aggressive, and they started to um, really not respond to him. He was getting frustrated. They'd given him a couple of proposals that he had bid on, and uh, unfortunately, there was nothing happening there. And so he comes to me and he says, look, he goes, I don't know what to do with these guys. He goes, they're just the point now where they won't even take my meetings. They won't let me come in and, and meet with them. And it was summertime. It was about 105 degrees in Chicago. I said, you know what? I'll tell you what. Why don't you go ahead and find somebody who can ship some gourmet off, uh, ice cream to their office? And let's do something to you know, set a different tone. And so he did. He found somebody who could deliver gourmet ice cream. And it was a huge hit. So, you know, a lot of times, the person you're working with, you you make all this outreach, you're trying to get their business, and then they get really frustrated and tired, but the people that work with them are not even exposed to that. But in this situation, because he had done something to kind of just change the tone, they reached out to him, thanked him, thought that was such a nice gesture, invited him to come in and present and the next thing you know, he got some business from him because you and I were talking offline about how important face-to-face conversations right. still are. Well, that was a great example. He got in front of them. They loved him. Over the phone, a- they were somewhat annoyed with him because he was pushing too hard. But in person, they just loved his personality, connected with him, started to give him business. They became his largest client. And that That's all great- happened because he stepped away and set a different tone. And it was a great lesson that he leveraged and and I've leveraged multiple times throughout my career, just doing things to thank people in a different way. Well, Paul, with that, I want to thank you for being here today. really appreciate it. We've learned so many interesting things about sales. We'd love to continue the conversation with you in the future. Thank you. Well, thank you. 
And just to summarize for our listeners, I think we learned a lot of interesting points here. You know, obviously building a relationship is critical. I love the quote of be selfless versus selfish. Do the due diligence for the salespeople. Take them out on a ride-along. Understand who you're hiring. Tools are critical. Data is important to understand and measure salespeople's effectiveness. And obviously, incentives, it's not just about money. It's also other motivations when you think about salespeople. And the last one, which I so often have to remind myself, is deal with the uncomfortable silence because that truly is when people start talking. So for today, I'd like to say thank you. If you guys want to, if anybody wants to continue the conversation, please feel free to follow me on Twitter. Ask me a question on Twitter. It's Sima, S-I-M-A, Vasa, V as in Victor, A-S-A. Happy to respond. I'm also on LinkedIn. Until next week, thank you so much. Have a great week. Take care. We are so glad you've joined us for the forum. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time with your host, Seema Vasa, on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we talk again, have a good week.